she looks drunk with sexual liberation or something. That was just the hottest thing I'd ever seen in my, you know, 13 years of life. We get to see like at the very 80s, like silhouette sex. Right. Oh God, I feel like I just really found a a problem in this movie. Shit. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's awestruck to welcome New York Times bestselling author Jill Smogler to join me in having the time of our lives as we chat all about the forbidden passion and heartbeat of 1987's feel-good classic, Dirty Dancing. But before we lace up our white kids, I'd like to tell you all about the incomparable Jill Smokler. As I mentioned, Jill is a New York Times bestselling author, former scary mommy, loving mom of three, and host of the podcast, She's Got Issues, where she's taking us along on her journey of finding peace in the past, power in the present, and passion in her future. Welcome to the podcast, Jill. I love that so much, Lori. I've not come up with a tagline of any sort, but I might have to steal that. I love that. I think you should. I think I might have to. Thank (laughs) you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for being here, Jill. I've known you a long time and I've admired you even longer. And it's just such a thrill to have you here. Oh, well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I don't know if you remember the first time we met. I'm sure it meant a lot more to me than it did to you, but we met at a BlogHer conference in 2011, I think. It was in San Diego. Do you remember that Mm -hmm. BlogHer? I remember that BlogHer and I remember meeting you, but I don't remember the exact situation. We actually shared a, I don't remember what they're called. They're not taxis. It's like transportation where someone's on a bike and they're like yes, riding yes, you yes, and you're in a yes. cart on the back. Yes. Man, how physically fit do you have to be? <laughs> Far more than I can even comprehend. Oh my God. So I obviously got to know you from your blog, Scary Mommy, way back in the day. And I was a mom blogger also. And Your words meant so much to me as a mom. Now my older son is 19. Wow. I know. How old is your daughter? She is 18, almost 18. She'll be 18 in two weeks. Okay. Wow. I know. It's crazy. I know. And I just remember feeling so alone in my motherhood journey. And I was the first person in my group of friends to have kids and It was like everything that I was reading online was just so precious about motherhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just, you were supposed to have all this love and joy and really no one was talking about their anxieties or the realities of it. And scary mommy was, and I gravitated toward your words and they helped me a lot and really inspired me to create my own blog and make a transition in my own life. And so for that, I am just forever thankful to you. Well, I love hearing that. Thank you so much. It really scary mommy filled a void for me as well, because I was the first person out of all of my friends to have kids. And I was in a, a new town in a new state at the time, like when I, when I started the blog and I had 
an infant and a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh. And I just was desperate for connection to yes. So yeah, I mean, not only was, you know, me putting the content out, but it was really what I was desperate for. I love that. I love that. And I know it meant so much to so many of us and just having you here to talk about something as light and fun as dirty dancing. It's just such a thrill. And I have to know, what is your history with this film? Oh, my history with the film. (laughs) It goes way back. So my mother is um, very passionate about musicals and theatrics, and she has a great appreciation for it. So when Dirty Dancing came out, I'm 44. I don't remember how old I was at the time, but okay. We can do the math later. Right. Um, math is hard. But it came out. It, it's very, very hard. <laughs> um, but it came out and she was so taken by the last scene, but she deemed the movie so inappropriate that she, but she couldn't stop talking about that last scene. So she okay. brought me into the TV room and we had it like not, this wasn't when it came out, like in the movie theaters, it was when it came out on VHS to, okay. you know, tape and she put it in the um, VCR and played only that scene. She fast forwarded the entire movie and played only that. No scene. context whatsoever. You're just seeing this last <laughs> Zero, scene. Okay. The grand Zero finale. Context. Okay. Exactly. The grand finale, which is meaningless unless you know the entire lead up and the characters. Right. And so I'm, you know, vastly unimpressed, but really, <laughs> really intrigued. So of course it becomes like this contraband material, which I'm like desperate (laughs) to watch. And like every sleepover I have subsequently, you know, when, when we're like, let's watch a movie. I'm always like, do you have to read dancing? Cause I'm dying to see it and out what happens before. And then when I finally watched it at my friend Heather's house, it did not disappoint at all. It seems as though the buildup and the like scandal of it all, like, oh, this is so forbidden, would almost make it so that it could never live up. In your imagination, you're like, what is in this movie? But the fact that it actually lived up to the hype. It does. It does. The scene, you know, the scene in um, Johnny's cabin where she's circling him and like grabs his ass. That scene, I was like, oh my God, this made it all worth it. That was just the (laughs) hottest thing I'd ever seen in my, you know, 13 years of life. Right. Um, right. Or whatever. We'll have to edit in the math. Um, (laughs) But yes, so that was my, that was like the precursor to probably like Judy Bloom's forever, or maybe it was around the same time. And like Sweet Valley High, like okay. those were all my coming of age, you know? Yes, absolutely. It was the time after Are You There, God? It, it was that totally. transitionary time. Yes. It was a transition from Sweet Valley Twins to Sweet Valley High. Uh, yes. Very, very pivotal point in a young woman's life. Totally subtle, but very pivotal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually remember the first time I saw this film. It was on home video. I know that I liked it because I also bought the cassette tape for it. Ooh, that's quite the investment. Yes, with my own (laughs) dollars. Yes. Oh my goodness. I would listen to it with my Walkman and I just, I loved the music in the film so much, maybe even more than the 
dancing because I don't know why that just didn't really, I I was just very sheltered. I guess that's Mm -hmm. what it was. I went to Christian school until sixth grade. I was very, very modest. And so like seeing all this imagery, I was just sort of like maybe even a little bit uncomfortable by it, but I did love the music. And now of course I go back and I, I love the dancing. It's such obviously a huge part of the film. It's so theatrical. These actors are so talented. Like, how are you so so talented? Patrick Swayze is like a triple threat. Like he, he sings what she's like the wind. I was just going to say she's like the wind and he's so masculine, but he can sing and he can dance and he could probably like build houses and like forage a meal from the woods. Like he's just (laughs) perfect. He cannot jimmy a car door open to retrieve his keys, <laughs> but he can break that window and get you. He where was you very need emotional at the time, Lori. He was very emotional. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I think we all felt like we could be protected by Patrick Swayze and oh. then he could just woo us. I still feel like that. So I still want that. Oh, what a tremendous loss to all of us. He is so oh. missed. He is. He, yes, that is a fantasy that will never fully die. Yes. So Dirty Dancing was released on August 21st, 1987, and it was directed by Emile Ardolino. The budget on this film was $5 million. Any guesses on the worldwide box office? I mean, obviously it was a huge success. Didn't I already illustrate my lack of knowledge of numbers. That's fair. I do realize that I was 10 when it came out, probably 12 or 13 when I watched it, but I have zero idea what the hell the box office response was. So from 5 million budget to 214.6 million. Wow. Yeah, it did well. Yeah, that's that is no slouch. Yeah. The film is actually loosely based on screenwriter Eleanor Bergstein's childhood. Her father was a Jewish doctor from New York, and she spent summers with her family in the Catskills, where she participated in dance competitions. Hmm. She was also known as Baby as a kid. Ooh, I never knew this. Yes, this is all true. And the film was actually filmed at Lake Lure in North Carolina, And they have an annual Dirty Dancing Festival that you can (gasps) attend. Actually, I think it was canceled last year because of COVID. But yeah, they have a Dirty Dancing Festival and it gets better. It was also filmed at the Mountain Lake Lodge near Pembroke, Virginia. And they host Dirty Dancing Weekends. And (gasps) they have like sock hops and a film screening and group dance lessons. They do a watermelon toss. It's incredible. And I'll link to both of these things in the show notes. You guys can check it out. So fun. You have to do that. And you have to be like live streaming from there. That would be so much fun. Oh man. Can you imagine? Like, I want to go do all those things. I love that. I love a theme. Yes, totally. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, super fun. Okay, so I think we should get into the film itself. We open on a young woman traveling with her family to Kellerman's Resort in the Catskills for the summer, which is basically like a blue blood summer camp, right? Like 
There's posh accommodations, awesome activities, all these dance things. They're trying on wigs. They're doing all kinds of things. They're playing games. There's entertainment. As a Jewish person who attended overnight camp, it is the typical Jewish overnight camp experience with parents and families. I was going to ask you what your family vacations were like as a kid and or whether or not you spent time in summer camps. My family vacations as a kid were nothing like that. They were primarily my parents dragging us around Europe and my brother and I bickering. But um, my summer camp experience was very similar to the cabins and the activities and the the songs, not the dirty dancing, but um, (laughs) aside from that, um, on the lake, it was, it was very similar to that. Did you love it? I wouldn't say I loved it. It was something I did because my parents just, I think, wanted us away. (laughs) Um, And it was, I'm a homebody. I've always been a homebody. So as nice as it may have been, I can't really remember it. Um, I just kind of wanted it to be home at the end of the day, you know, watching Dirty Dancing. (laughs) Watching Dirty Dancing (laughs) or trying to watch Dirty Dancing. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So we hear a voiceover that says, that was the summer of 1963 when everybody called me baby. And it didn't occur to me to mind. Now, did you have a nickname growing up? Not that was really commonly used. I was Jilly Bean. I'm still Jilly Bean to my dad. That was really it, though. There's not really much to do with Jill. It can't really be shortened (laughs) all that much. So, yeah, that was sort of it. Mine was Bo. And I don't. It's an interesting one. Yeah, it was actually Bo Bo. That's my son's teddy bear's name. Bobo. Okay. I was Bobo. I was Bobo as a kid, always by my dad. And then it just shortened to Bo. And I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Bobo. (laughs) That he will always hold a special place in my heart, always, forever. (laughs) Does he still have Bobo? He does. He actually has two Bobos because I got a you know, a, a backup Bobo that he smart. discovered. That's yes, some smart he, parenting right there. It really was. It really was. Um, but yes, we actually have a little portrait of Bobo that I had made in the early days of blogging. So Bobo is really special. Bobo will go to college with Ben, whether he likes it or not. Oh, <laughs> we'll I love shove that there somewhere. Um, yeah. Anyway. That is so sweet. Let's talk casting for a second. Baby is played by a then 26-year-old Jennifer Gray, who, of course, we know from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Red Dawn. She's also the daughter of actor and dancer Joel Gray. And Joel Gray was the master of ceremonies in Cabaret, 1972's film Cabaret. Mm. And he is an Oscar winner. So she's she's got some, you know, entertainment in her blood. So yeah. also considered for the role of baby, though, was Winona Ryder. Really? Yeah, I don't. Oh, my gosh. That would have totally, totally changed it. Oh, my gosh. Can you even imagine her? No, dancing? I, I can't. Oof. But the other person that was really in the running, who it came down to these final two, which I could totally see it happening. Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, totally. Right. I just want to have fun. Obviously. Obviously, of course. Yeah. She could totally have done that, but she doesn't quite have the, she doesn't have the same imperfection quirky. She has, she has some of it, but she doesn't have the exact same, like 
losery quality. It's Jennifer <laughs> Grey. Yes. Just a tinge that doesn't go away even with, even as great as she looks, which she does. You sent me that sample from their screen test. Yes. And I mean, she looks amazing. She's incredible looking, but she's still, she's perfect for that role. She, she really is. is. She has that real every girl quality, you know, and it's, it's really special because it's, it's like a personality or a look or, or a quality or something that's just not so polished and as talented. Oh my God. As she is, you can relate to her. Like every girl Mm -hmm. that has ever felt like maybe the underdog or not even, I'm not even saying like an ugly duckly quality, but like more of like a homely natural just regular girl. Yes, yes, exactly. That's a much nicer way of of saying loserish. <laughs> but I say that I say that as a self-identifying loser. So I don't mean same. Same. I I related to her on that level in in a really big way. So yes. yes. So the family arrives at the camp. The activity director is Newman from Seinfeld. Baby notices Johnny Castle. Johnny Castle comes mm. strutting in. And he is immediately disciplined by Kellerman, who tells him to keep his hands off the guests. Okay, so this is all we know about him so far. Now, Johnny Castle, obviously, played by Patrick Swayze. Apparently, Val Kilmer turned down the role, and he lived to regret it. Interesting. I could see that. Yes. Also in the running was Benicio Del Toro. Okay. Yeah. And Billy Zane. Okay, I could see that too. Billy Zane's screen test with Gray wasn't very good, unlike the screen test between Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Gray that I sent to you that you were talking about. It doesn't about. get better than that. Oh my it, God, it's so good, right? It's ridiculous. I mean, they could have just put that out as a movie and it would have grossed <laughs> something crazy. I like derived so much joy from that screen test. I will link that in the show notes. You guys check it out. It is. Oh, you have to. It made my day. It made my, it's so so good. good. It's so good. Okay. So Patrick Swayze was 34 when he nabbed the role and he actually was such an incredible dancer because he had experience with the Joffrey ballet. Really? Yes. God, I love a male ballerina. Are they called ballerina ballet dancer? What's the word? I, I I am not sure, but as someone who is married to a gay man, I have to say that is not typically an avenue that I find to be sexy, <laughs> but. Okay. I say yes. this because I just rewatched all of Sex in the City and um, the storyline with Carrie and Alexander Petrovsky played by Mikhail Baryshnikov. I find him so attractive. Do you? Oh, gosh, I, I never did. I never did. I do. I find him so attractive. I was Googling like young Mikhail Baryshnikov and I'm just, he's so muscular and like so athletic and, oh, I don't know. I just so sexy. I don't know. There's something about it that still at the end of the day just is too whimsical. And I want someone who's outside chopping wood and <laughs> want I want that side. yes, I want that side of Patrick Swayze. Yes, that's fair. So Patrick Swayze didn't really in the beginning want to do any dancing in his movies because I guess he has some sort of knee injury, but he read the script and he loved it. And so he's like, mm. okay, I'll do it. I'm like, oh, thank God. Seriously. 
At the resort, we see professional dancers Penny, who's played by Cynthia Rhodes. She was actually in Flashdance and Staying Alive. I didn't really? know that. Yeah. And she was married to singer Richard Marks. Richard Marks. Time. Right. You knew that? I did know that because I love Richard Marks. I love him too, but like what a weird bit of pop culture knowledge that you had Thank there. Thank you. I, I have some. I do have some tidbits. Yes. <laughs> Penny and Johnny dazzle the crowd with their mambo, and this totally mesmerizes Baby. She's like, oh, my God. She's like I was when I first saw the movie. Exactly. So later that night, Baby helps Billy, a resort employee, carry a watermelon to the (laughs) employee's quarters, which is a really big no-no because they're not supposed to be mingling with the guests. So inside baby sees the employees doing a lot of dirty dancing. And she's like, what the fuck did I just step into? (laughs) Like, where did they learn to do that? I've never seen anything like this. We see Penny and Johnny come in and Johnny's shirt. I love it. I love it. I always laugh when like the shirt is buttoned at the navel. Like the shirt is wide open, just blazing. It really is really far down. Yeah, it's so like it is literally buttoned like at the belly button. And I just (laughs) I don't know in what world a man's like, I look good when he does that. But but the thing is, he he does. does. He can carry it off. (laughs) He's probably the I mean, Billy Zane could not do that. Oh no, only Patrick uh-uh. Swayze and Val that Kimmer, swagger. No, thank you. Yes. Like they, they do not, they Ooh. could not do that the same way. Yes. So they come in, they start dancing and they're doing the dirtiest dancing like of all. And all the while baby is standing there awestruck holding that goddamn watermelon, <laughs> which is a really large watermelon. And she's a really small human. Yes. It's just so awkward. It's, it's literally the most awkward. There's nothing else she could carry in there. That would be more awkward. Perhaps like several bushels of bananas might be equally as awkward. (laughs) That's fair, Jill. I I hadn't, hadn't considered the banana factor. Any large number of fruit items (laughs) or a heavy fruit would be very strange in this situation. Similarly to the man in sex in the city that shows up with the coconut and the pineapple. Yes. Yeah. At jury duty. And and he just holds them. Exactly. 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 I'm glad that we have this, you know, mutual frame of reference that we can go back to. I binge sex in the city during quarantine twice. (gasps) It is all fresh. It is all very fresh. Okay. Okay. I think we should keep going back there. I appreciate that. Okay. So baby thinks like Penny is just the luckiest gal in all the land. She's got Johnny, but Billy assures her they are not a couple. Johnny sees baby and he's like, what is she doing here? And and she's like, I carried a watermelon. (laughs) (laughs) Best line. I have never felt more seen. Like I, that's exactly what I would say. Uh, 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 I'm carrying this watermelon. So, you know, Johnny, Johnny is a teacher to his very core, Jill. He's like, I'm going to teach this weird girl with the watermelon standing here so awkwardly (laughs) how to dance. I'm going to give her some moves. And, you know, he's working on loosening her hips. And she literally, I love this scene so much because the look on her face, she looks like drunk with sexual liberation or something like she looks drunk 
She looks like a piece of spaghetti. Like yeah. he's just like maneuvering. Spaghetti her. art. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Totally. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so funny. So with their first encounter, their first dancing, did you clock chemistry between them? Did you see it? Because there were oh, times yes. in this film, I really saw it. And there were times I was like, eh. no, I did. I felt like from the second she saw him, she wanted him. And, and that came across for you. I thought so. Yeah, I definitely thought so. I never, I never sensed that it wasn't there. Okay. The next day, baby finds Penny crying. And she goes and, and tells Billy who goes and, and gets Johnny. And, and this is when the shit really gets real. Baby finds out that Penny is pregnant. It's not Johnny's baby. It's Robbie's. And Robbie is like a smarmy resort employee who's headed to Yale next fall. And he's been getting up close and personal with baby's shitty sister, Lisa. Is that her name? Lisa. Yes, I hate that character Lisa. so much. I like have a block against her name. But that scene when she's rubbing her hair, it's she sort of redeems herself a teeny bit. Just like this she's much. Just a pathetic character. Ugh. And then she goes on to sing hula hula and I hate her some more. So. Oh God. Well, then you just pity her because she's so pathetic. Yeah. It's 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 not good. It's not no. good. Someone needs to tell her. If only. like we're all pretending that it's okay that she sings this song in the talent show. It is most definitely not okay. No, it is. No. It is. It is not. It is. It is painful to the ears. Yes. It is offensive to the ears. Yes. Amen. So Penny, she doesn't want to be pregnant. Okay. But it's 1963. Abortion isn't legal. Well, it's not legal everywhere. And she doesn't have the 250 bucks to get an illegal abortion. Now I'm weird. And I, I I'm a big fan of the inflation calculator. So I'm like, how much is $250 in today's money? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about abortion. Yeah. Right. I mean, we I'm can do that this too. Is not going there. You know, I, I'm going the math route since we talked yeah, about let's, how much let's we do that. math. Yes. So it's like, it's over $2,200 in today's money. So that's interesting. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way. That's a, that's a good uh, tidbit. Yeah. But yes, Roe versus Wade didn't come down until 1973. And so obviously, like we could talk all day about the need for safe abortion. <laughs> Let's not go there. We'll just we'll just move on. Now, yes. there's an interesting bit of trivia that I found. Clearasil, you know, Clearasil. We used to use Clearasil back in the day. Oh my for God. Acne. Second okay. only to Noxzema. Oh, yeah. Second, third only to Seabreeze. Oh, that shit will just burn course. your face off. <laughs> Seabreeze toner, gotta do it. Dry out your face so completely. Oh my God, yes. So Clearasil wanted to be a corporate sponsor of the film, but they ended up dropping out because they found the abortion subplot to be way too scandalous. Really? Yeah, so they thought the teenage demographic for this film, I mean, it attracted, you know, a, a lot of people love this movie from like, you know, teens up through, I'm sure. Horny housewives. Who horny housewives. 13 year old yes, children. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. To all of it. Um, but they're like, you know, we can focus in on the, on the teen demo here, but yeah, not when there's an abortion subplot. Interesting. Yeah. The idea that this film had the subplot and yet didn't villainize Penny. I thought was really remarkable because it didn't focus around the ethics of her decision. 
not only did it not villainize her, but it, but she was treated with such warmth and kindness. With so much care. And the focus was really on her health and her reproductive health, which I thought was really nice. As a 13-year-old or 12-year-old seeing this film, how much of the abortion subplot did you understand? Kind of just went over my head. I didn't really get it. I didn't know a lot when I was younger. No, it it was about as much as I understood the Nazi subplot in Sound of Music, which was very minimally. And I think it just entirely like went over my head. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure what I thought of it, but I don't remember thinking anything of it. Yeah. Same. Baby decides to approach Robbie for the money. Such a dick. And Robbie's like, nah, I don't know that it's mine. Like, whatever. And baby's like, stay away from my horrible sister. She doesn't call her a horrible sister, but she is. You really have a beef with Lisa. I I have unresolved shit with Lisa. Clearly. I I wish we could just write her right out of the film. Like, I don't feel like (laughs) she needs to be there. No, she doesn't. She really didn't. Yeah. And then the whole thing where it's like, baby's the favorite of the dad. And and then Lisa's like, well, now I'm the favorite. Whatever, whatever. (laughs) Stupid. Okay. So baby goes and she approaches her dad, uh, played by Jerry Orbach, who we know from Law and Order. And he's also the voice of Lumiere, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, in Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast. And tidbit, I saw him in a New York deli, like probably at this point, 10 years ago. And I smiled at him and he smiled back. (gasps) He's very recognizable. Uh Uh-huh. How is that a claim to fame? <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. I I would have just like cowered in the corner and I would have been like, show <laughs> my phone. Yeah, that's exciting. It was before those days. Sadly. You're like, can you sign my deli napkin? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should mention that baby's mom is played by Kelly Bishop, who mm. I know her best as the mom in Gilmore, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore. Yes, hey, Ellie Gilmore. Okay, so baby asks her dad for the money. He trusts baby implicitly. He's like, okay, here's the money. Like, uh, is this for something illegal? And she's like, no. I'm like, mm. but especially the context of thinking of it as over $2,000. Yes. I mean, that puts it in a whole different light. Like, I don't know that if my kid came to me and asked me for money and said, I couldn't tell you what it was for, (laughs) that I would do it. Would it's you so do- sketchy. Would you know? No, no I, of course I wouldn't. That is so sketchy. Well, he's clearly a better parent than we are. Or a worse parent. <laughs> or a worse parent because look what that was for. And then look what ended up happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. You know, sure. we could, we could really blame baby for this whole situation. Yeah. No good deed. No good deed. No good deed. That's so true. Baby saves the day. She comes up with the money, but then they all realize, oh my God, we have another problem. If Penny goes and gets this here illegal abortion, she can't compete in the dance competition. And if they don't compete in the dance competition, they lose this season's salary and next season's gig. I'm like, what (gasps) kind of contract is this? Oh my God. Doesn't that violate like all kinds of labor laws and things? That seems like super high stakes. You would think. Yes. So this is when Johnny condescendingly asks baby if she wants to fill in for Penny. And then he's like, oops, she can't do it. And in spite of this, baby like agrees to help out. And I have to ask you, Jill, 
would you have stepped up in this case? (laughs) Well, I am probably one of the most terrible dancers that you know. So yeah, the answer is no. But what I could relate to was the terrible makeup job because that (laughs) it is a crime. It really, it really, really is. So that is the only relatable part of that scene for me. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have stepped up. Although the opportunity to practice with a sweaty Johnny castle when she's into him, like that might be enough Mm. of a draw. But on stage, I don't, my nerves would just, I don't think I could do it. I'd like to think I could, but I, I don't think I could. Yeah. We get some like dance montages. Mm-hmm. She's beginning her lessons with Johnny. He's getting all frustrated with her for not being, you know, a professional dancer on day one. And this is when we get the scene of baby alone on the steps, practicing her moves to oh, wipe out. So cute. If there were any scene that I wanted to be someone like in of this generation, that would be oh. that definitely top five, maybe top three. Those so good. Cut off jean shorts. Oh, and the pink so tank cute. And the Her little oh belly. God. So, and she was so tan and oh, so cute. And I love like by the end of that scene, like, like she starts feeling herself. No, oh, she like, got yes! it. I love it. <laughs> totally. It's awesome. This, this is a pivotal plot point. This is when Hungry Eyes plays in the background. Okay. We, we get the sexy turning point of the film. And Johnny explains that the mambo is like a heartbeat. And that's when he places her hand on his uh, chest. And we all melted collectively. Uh-huh, uh-huh. God, he's so sexy. It's just the end of the innocence. It really is. So there's more dance montages. There's the whole spaghetti arms thing. This is my dance space. This is your dance space. I love it when the three of them dance together. I love that. Love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. So good. So good. I love that. Everything's going pretty good. Baby's getting the hang of things. There's just one little tiny thing left, which is actually the really big thing. It's the big lift, the show stopping lift of the routine. We cut to baby and Johnny practicing and he's, he's doing that move with his hand, like down her like arm Mm. and she keeps laughing. That actually was not in the script. And Patrick Swayze was actually getting frustrated with her. I was going to say, so is he, was he really as pissed off as he He was, he was, she kept laughing and they're like, this is gold. We're keeping it in the film. Oh, that's cute. Well, it must've tickled. Yes. I mean, right. I like it. They go to the lake to, to dance on a log, practice their balance as one does. They're, they're starting to have fun and be silly with each other, which I think is really important in like establishing that their relationship is it's deepening. Yes. So they try the lift in the field. It's not really going well. They move the practice to the lake. We get to see a shirtless Johnny. We get to see baby in a wet t-shirt with her nipples. Totally ablaze. (laughs) It's sexy. It's iconic. I love that scene. Oh, what do you think so about it? So good. So good. It's really good. We're now at the dance with baby's horrible, horrible makeup. Like you Ugh. said, she looks terrible. You know, 
that pink halter dress wasn't doing it for me. Her hair in a French twist, just everything about that. And her hair is so tight, tight. Yes. It's just, and maybe that's the point is that she just looks so utterly uncomfortable, but it's just so painful to watch. You know, she's got these beautiful loose curls, like just let them be wild and free. Maybe it's for the context of the last scene. Maybe, maybe we needed to see her looking so, so pathetic. That's fair. They do their little like magic mambo. It starts off kind of (laughs) clunky. She's too afraid to do the lift. I love how she's trying to like (laughs) cover for it. I love that dance. (laughs) If I ever have to pull out a dance, that's like, that'll, that'll be what you do. Yeah. It's the baby cover. Yep. So even though Johnny like seems kind of annoyed with her during the dance, I thought he seemed kind of pissed on the way back to the resort. He's telling her like, you did a great job. And he's also staring at her in the rearview mirror while she's changing. Oh, he wants to, he's annoyed by her, but he wants to fuck her. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. <laughs> so true. But, right. <laughs> yes. And the moment they arrive back at the resort, Billy rushes to them like, oh my God. The abortion went horribly wrong and, and the guy had a dirty knife and a folding table. And I was like, oh, <sighs> the image of that. Oh, so bad. And so Penny is in agony. She's bleeding. Nobody knows what to do. So baby rushes off to go get her dad, the doctor. She doesn't tell her dad what's going on. Like she picks up the doctor's bag and she brings the doctor's bag. Mm. Do you think doctors, I mean, one of my very best friends is a doctor and he does not go on vacation or travel with a doctor's bag. Is that like something that doctors do or doctors of another generation did? Because like, how does he have medicine tools? I think this is where we need to remember that, well, A, it was 19, what, 63? Three. Mm-hmm. And B, it's a fictional film. <laughs> so no, know it's not Jill. <laughs> this shit totally happened in real life. How dare you? It would be very convenient if our doctor friends carried around their entire plethora of doctor right? things. That would be that awesome. Would so I would helpful. love that. Think about it. Like anytime you're anywhere and have a problem, you could be like, is there a doctor in the house? And they're like, I'm here with my bag. I have a hangnail. I have a really bad paper cut. Can you help me out? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, when daddy arrives, he asks who's responsible for this girl. And Johnny steps up and says, I do, which is super noble. But of course the dad's going to think Johnny is the dad of Penny's baby. Logical assumption. So through some kind of medical magic, because I guess this is a movie, Jill. I mean, I guess (laughs) baby's dad somehow fixes Penny you know, it would have been a lot more believable to me if they had like mentioned specifically that he was a gynecologist. <laughs> is he an OBGYN? Like what kind of doctor is he? And then he's got the pain meds and and then he's able to fix her bleeding, know that she's going to be able to have kids. Like, how does he know right. any of that? Is he a psychic? Also, yes, there, there are many questions. Is he a medical medium? Ooh, that sounds like it could have been a great sequel. Yes. 
I don't know. I'm like, we're making a lot of leaps, a lot of assumptions here <laughs> with this film, but I think I threw it off when I, when I said it was fictional. I think that's when things went yeah. awry. I take it back. I take it back. It's real life. It's real life. <laughs> I'm like so <laughs> cynical about this, but okay. He's, he's magical. He fixes her fine, but this is not without consequence, Jill, because he is pissed at baby, his beloved favorite daughter, baby. She's not perfect anymore. Lisa is quickly catching up. Exactly. And he tells her, you are not allowed to hang out with those people anymore. Such disdain. I was thinking like, as a parent, have you ever truly like forbidden your child from hanging out with anybody? Because I feel like the minute you do that, they're like a moth to a flame. I feel like that doesn't a hundred percent. I have not, I have never forbidden. I have really tried to heavily influence. Yes. Same <laughs> really tried. Um, but no, never forbidden because that just seems like a, you're asking for it. You're asking for it. And so, you yeah. know what he asked for it. And so it happened. So obviously baby goes straight to Johnny and he gets what he wants. He gets what he wants. She apologizes to Johnny for her dad's behavior. And he, and Johnny's like, people treat me like I'm nothing because I'm nothing. And she says, you're everything. And he is, he is magical. He's like, you know, no, I, I think you're incredibly brave. And she's like, I'm afraid of everything, but most of all, I'm afraid of how I feel when I'm with, when I'm with you. you and never again feeling like this. Oh, Ugh. they dance. She obviously doesn't have a lot of sexual experience, but she was the one who makes the first move. She kisses his neck. Yes. Yes. She totally (gasps) does. And she's the one who circles him. She takes control in that situation. And for a shy, you know, virgin, like she really like go baby. Yes. Go baby. They have the sex. We get to see like at the very eighties, like silhouette sex. They do that in Top Gun too. And I remember like the sheer curtain. Yes. And you see like their shadows and it's, you know, there's music and it's, it's a whole, it's a whole. I believe that was the scene that, that my mother did not want me to see. Yeah. I think that was the standout. Yeah. I mean, and, and I get it. It was, it was super sexy. It was worth the wait. Yeah. So Jill, did you ever have a summer romance growing up? I don't think I have fully expressed my um, loser dumb (laughs) because no, when I, no, I was a loner geeky uh, kid. And I did crafts by myself and sing oh, Broadway. Oh, crafts! <laughs> I totally, I was the geeky kid by myself. So no, I had no summer romances other than like Johnny in my head. So that was about it. Yes. Baby keeps sneaking off to see Johnny whenever she can. Baby's awful sister wants to go all the way with Ravi. Mm. It's going to happen tonight. In the words of JLo, waiting for tonight. Ugh. This is the scene when Baby and Johnny are in the studio and they do the crawling around the floor thing to love is strange. Oh, so good. They're it's so, so cute. like sexy and playful and like the energy and chemistry between them is so dead on in that moment. I, I love this scene. Well, it's so, it's such a fun 
lighthearted musical scene that you can actually imagine happening. Whereas like, you know, most musical scenes are just so like, you know, far-fetched and right. this is just, it's so, it's so adorable. They're just so cute. They're so cute. We're rooting for these two kids. Oh my God. Lisa decides to go surprise Robbie in his cabin, but she catches him with that resort cougar, Vivian, who's also been cheating on her husband with Johnny before he had eyes for a baby. When Vivian sees baby and Johnny together, this is when she makes up that lie about Johnny stealing her husband's wallet. And it's, he's going to end up fired because of it. And baby knows the only way to clear Johnny's name is to admit that she was with him in his cabin all night. And her dad takes it hard. Like baby's not such a baby anymore. Little girl is grown up. This is when baby and her dad have that come to Jesus meeting and baby's wearing that cardigan. You have to love me for who I am. Exactly. And she says, if you love me, you have to love all these things about me. And I love you. And I'm sorry I let you down, but you let me down. Let me down too. Now as a parent, doesn't that hit you in such a different way? Oh my God. Well, okay. Generationally speaking, I don't know that parents from that generation would necessarily even take something like this all that hard. I think the generation of parenting that we are, Jill, I think Gen X parents are riddled with guilt. I think there's just so much guilt always. It's just like this unspoken energy in everything all the time that if your kid told you that, you would take that shit so personally. Oh my God. I'd be devastated. Devastated. And her dad, he takes it and he listens to her. And I was thinking like, I'm not the kind of kid who could have a conversation that bold with a parent. Oh my gosh. I don't, I wouldn't have processed that. I I wouldn't have processed that as a kid. And I certainly wouldn't have had the balls to approach. Yeah. I never, never, never. I, I don't think I still would. I don't either as a 45 year old woman. I don't think I could, I could be like, you know, I'm sorry I let you down, but you let me down too. Right. This is why I'm in therapy. Like whatever. I don't think I could do that. No, that's a very brave thing. Very (sighs) brave. They both cry. They're going to be okay. They really are. Now Kellerman doesn't care that Johnny didn't steal. He fires him for being with baby. Mm. Like it wasn't even worth it. And this is when she's like the wind plays. Mm. Baby and Johnny say their goodbyes mm. at his car. Oh, and the car and the the, mm. the dirt's just lingering. And Ugh. they both say they'll never be sorry. Yes. They kiss. Ugh. And this is when baby in her sadness has that moment with Lisa, that one glimmer of redemption for Lisa. Yeah, totally, totally. Dad finally finds out that Robbie was Penny's baby daddy. It's about time. Lisa sings that horrible hula hula song (laughs) and offends us all. (laughs) At the final talent show, the last night, Johnny busts in like a boss and he beelines it for baby. He comes back for her. So good. Baby seated in the corner. And this is when he says, nobody puts baby in a corner. 
oh, and she has her arms crossed and she, oh, God, it's so good. Oh, God. And when her mom puts her arm on the dad to make him stay. Yes. That was a moment. That was a real oh, moment. We don't get a lot of like very sweet. great mom moments. No, there's not a lot with the mom at all. That yeah. was a very sweet one. Yes. Oh, Johnny leads her out of her seat. And he, he takes her out of the corner, out of the corner and onto the stage. You don't belong yeah. in a corner. You belong in the spotlight, baby. This is what I think. Uh, it's her moment. I love how he just sort of like commandeers the stage. Like he's just like, okay, yeah, I got this. Like, hey, hey guys, stop. stop, stop. I got something I need to say. Well, and I just love that the Kellerman and the um, musician just sort of join in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. We're going to pivot. <laughs> We're going to act like this is all part of the plan. Exactly. Oh, it's so good. He decides he needs to address the crowd. And he says, Francis Hausman, which is baby's government name, <laughs> taught him about the kind of person he wants to be. I mean, talk about a grand gesture. Oh, such a shame that Instagram wasn't around. Oh, uh, right. Okay, that shit <laughs> should have gone viral. That is a right? viral moment. I mean, everyone is moved by this moment. They break into their amazing, sexy dance. And all the boundaries come down between yes! the guests. And the, the staff is dancing with the guests. And everyone's united. And it's There's just, not it's this so class beautiful. structure shit None. going down anymore. We None are of all, it at all here feeling the love and this community space. It's beautiful. I will say one tiny, tiny criticism. I oh, have no. About this. oh no. They just don't like the song. I've had the time of my life. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think it's weird. I think it's a weird choice. And I also feel like it's a, it's too modern for that scene. It just doesn't make sense. I was reading what the critics were saying about it. And one of the critics was like, it's this weird thing where the film is dated in 1963 and they rely on Wipeout and Love is Strange and these older songs, but then they're throwing in things like Hungry Eyes, She's Like the Wind and I've Had the Time of My Life, which are clearly modern tunes. So it is sort of a weird disconnect. I really don't like the song. And even when I had the cassette and I was listening to this shit on repeat, I was fast forwarding that song every time. I just, I don't like the song. And it's different than Hungry Eyes and She's Like the Wind because those just seem like there's those are over the film. They're not they're not integrated into it. Yes, they're not the focus. This is exactly the focus. And this is also integral. They're dancing to this music. And he's and he also is mouthing it at the end. Oh, I didn't really catch that. Right. So that just wouldn't fit at all. Okay, I guess I didn't even realize that this is like, I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I wasn't really thinking about it. <laughs> That like, this is literally the song they're dancing to. I, I think, I don't know what I thought. Right. Oh God. I feel like I just really found a, a problem in this movie. Shit. It's the one thing. Cause he really is mouthing it. And he does. Oh. It, it, he does. He mouths it and he like shakes his head. Um, yeah. Oof. Crap. Yeah. It's just a movie, Jill. It's just a movie, Jill. It's just a movie. If it has to be, it's just a movie. Oof. I just kept kind of thinking like this dance is a little like sexy and showy. Like, 
I'm surprised baby isn't embarrassed to be dancing it in front of her parents. Oh, totally. But then her parents really get they, it on. They support I mean, it. They, they get down. And I think her mom was quite the dancer because, you know, she notes that baby gets it from her. Yes, this so is true. I think she was a dirty dancer back in her day. Okay. So That's she can relate. Thoughts. I think she can. And I think she's sort of reliving her heyday. Oh, so she's feeling young again. Right. Right. Mom and dad are going to get lucky tonight is what you're saying. Big time. (laughs) So everyone erupts right into joyous celebration. It's really lovely. And the dad admits that he was wrong about Johnny. And he tells baby that she looked wonderful. Mm. As much as we hated the song. (laughs) Yes. It won the Oscar. And Golden Globe for like best song. Well, and it was nominated for a Grammy for best song for a motion picture. So I can't say I always agree with the word choices. So yeah, that doesn't shock me. Yes. Same. So where do you think, let's just forget about the sequels for a moment because they don't count. They don't count. Where do you think these characters ended up? What happened to baby? Did she go to the Peace Corps? Oh gosh, this is one part I have not dissected in my head. Oof, this is a really good question. I don't think they end up together. Absolutely you don't. not. No, no. You way. think it was just a summer romance? Just a summer romance. I think they I think they potentially could have tried, but I think it never would have worked. Unfortunately. Um, I don't think he would have necessarily gone back to his union type job. I think he might be a changed man and might see that he has, you know, talents that he didn't recognize. He is everything, Joe. He is everything. He's meant for more. And baby, I think may, you know, her priorities may change and she may see that erotic dancing is more valuable than the Peace Corps. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure Perhaps. where, what her future is. Um, yeah, I really, I don't know. Where do you see them ending up? <sighs> I mean, it would be too tidy to say that they ended up together. They really do come from very different worlds. She had a plan. You know, she's a do-gooder. Like she has a big vision for her life and it, it includes helping people. And I assume she's going to go on to get a shit ton of education and, and really do something remarkable. I do think that Johnny you know, he said, Francis Hausman taught me about the man I want to be or whatever. So he he has some sort of new profound vision for his life. I don't know what that includes. Maybe he opens a dance studio. I don't know. That's a nice thought. I'd like to, I'd like to think that he makes good. Yes. Maybe he becomes a famous Broadway choreographer. Maybe Lori, maybe. And when he comes in and, you know, all the dancers are behind him, the resort employees, it, it looked like a real sort of West Side Story number when they were like it did. doing the it snapping. And I was like, okay, I see story. some, I see some real like, like Broadway choreography here. Or, you know, the stabbing direction, but yeah. You know. <laughs> I feel like Lisa stayed just kind of as the person that she was. I think she just found a guy and she found a wealthy husband. She got her she MRS degree and she might be his bookkeeper. Maybe. I think she makes jello molds. Oh, totally. She wears an apron. Yes. hundred percent. She wears an apron. And, and I think that Penny just remained working at the resort. Totally. And she's very happy. Yeah. She seemed fulfilled by that. She, I think she is. And I think she has, uh, I think she has a daughter. 
eventually. Okay. And I think she is an advocate for the woman's right to choose. Amen. Yes. This film was filmed over 43 days. That was all it took to create this magic that we just saw here. Wow. That is shocking. I know. And interestingly, Dirty Dancing was the first film to sell over 1 million copies on home video, which is how we both saw it. Really? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yep. So when asked about the legacy of the film and, you know, how has it been able to maintain its place in our collective hearts over all these years, Patrick Swayze said, it's got so much heart to me. It's not about the sensuality. It's really about people trying to find themselves. This young dance instructor feeling like he's nothing but a product and this young girl trying to find out who she is in a society of restrictions when she has such an amazing take on things. And I love this next part. He says, on a certain level, it's really about the fabulous, funky little Jewish girl getting the guy because of what she's got in her heart. Oof, I love that. I that is so know. good. It's good, right? Oh, that is perfect. I love it. I, I love, love it. it. Yes, Patrick Swayze, we miss you so. There were like, I, I don't even want to say sequels because they didn't involve the same characters. Although I do think Patrick Swayze did make a cameo in one of these things. There okay. was Dirty Dancing Havana Nights in 2004. I didn't see it. There was actually, even before that, in 88, a TV show, Dirty Dancing. A really? TV show. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. There was, in 2007, Dirty Dancing, colon, the time of your life reality show. Don't what? know what that entails. I have no idea. Wow. Okay. There was a video game in 2007. <laughs> Wow. They were really trying to resurrect it. It did not take. Oh, man. I swear. And then there was a remake in a made-for-TV film, and I watched it. I have very few memories about it, but I remember kind of liking it, (laughs) (laughs) which probably says more about me than the film. I don't know. I think I was just so, like, desperate for for more Dirty Dancing in my life. But the exciting thing is there is a proper... Sequel, A Dirty Dancing 2 in the works. Really? Jennifer Grey is returning as baby. Oh, wow. Okay. And she also serves as an executive producer on the film. Okay. That's promising. In regard to the Johnny Castle character, she told People Magazine, all I can say is there's no replacing anyone who's passed. You never try to repeat anything that's magic like that. You just go for something different. Okay. That sounds respectful. The Lionsgate CEO, John Feltheimer, said, it will be exactly the kind of romantic, nostalgic movie that the franchise's fans have been waiting for. I'll believe it when I see it. Exactly. Like, I think that's the party line. I think that's what you have to say. So I don't know. We'll see about all that. Prove prove it. Show us. Yep. Will we watch this and have the time of our lives? I mean, I hope so. I I hope so too. Yeah. Those are some big dancing shoes to fill. So I don't know. We will see. (laughs) Jill, I would love to shift the focus onto you. I said at the top of the show that Jill was a New York Times bestselling author. You have authored three books, Confessions of a Scary Mommy in 2012, 
Motherhood Comes Naturally and Other Vicious Lies Mm -hmm. in 2013, and Scary Mommy's Guide to Surviving the Holidays. We just survived the holidays. How were your holidays? They were quiet, but they were nice. My ex took the kids away. So I had a whole week to myself to get organized and not have the dirty laundry accumulate, which was very nice. Um, So they were good. Good. So, okay. Scary Mommy began as basically an online, sort. I don't want to say baby book, to share with your family. Was it even a blog? Because I remember like sharing in the early days, like even before Facebook and all that, I was sharing like, what are those called? Uh, Shutter? Shutterfly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that was my reasoning behind starting it was I, you know, I just felt like it was so annoying to send out those albums to family and friends, but that was the only way that you had to get like more than one picture across to someone. And I, and I just felt like my kids were the cutest fucking kids in the world. And I needed to expose them. Obviously, I needed to expose them to all of my contacts, but I got some feedback along the way that maybe it was a little much. (laughs) So when I found out about blogging, I thought, okay, I'll give this a try and see if it sticks. And that was in 2008, right? I was in early 2008. Yep. And I just, I I got really hooked really early and threw myself into it and it, it grew pretty quickly and evolved into a community site from, from just me writing about my kids. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite a ride. It was so different and important. in the fact that it was basically all centered around this indisputable truth that parenting isn't perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Parenting can be real. And this is what real looks like. And there's so much love here, but there's also a lot of imperfection and, and that's okay. Yeah. There weren't people giving us permission to be fully human as parents at that time. So it really hit a nerve with so many people, including me. And it grew like over the span of the next decade, it was this huge empire with millions of followers worldwide. I mean, it was so big. And, And what I loved the most about that was that that was never your goal. Your goal began as this place to share your stories and, and share your kids. And people could come to yeah. you without you having to send these books out to everyone. Like, look how cute <laughs> my kids are and, and annoying everyone. Like they could come to you. What I love about the concept of blogging and my experience was that it was as therapeutic for me putting content out there as it was for people, you know, receiving it and yes. the conversation. It was just all mutually beneficial in the best possible way. And it just happened at a time when I was desperate for it. Right. In your trailer for your podcast, She's Mm -hmm. Got Issues, you say, as your empire was just growing and growing and growing, you said it was exciting and it was thrilling and I was drowning. And you mentioned that your personal life was unraveling. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on in your life, in your head, in your heart at that time? Mm-hmm. I was putting everything into Scary Mommy. My um, marriage was slowly imploding. Mm-hmm. Um, my health was a, my mental health was a disaster at the time. My physical health was a disaster. I just had a hysterectomy. I had shingles. I had like just a series of, of health problems that I was just sort of hanging on by a thread. Right. And 
I just felt like I needed an out. So you did, you ended up, you made a really brave decision. You decided I need help with this. This is so big. And so you sold it. Right. So it was a very challenging period for me. And it. I happened to have a conversation with someone who was very independently wealthy and happened to be starting a media company and wanting to make an investment in an existing parenting website. <laughs> so it really filled many of the boxes. And yeah. I was not in a place emotionally, physically, relationally, um, anything wise to really shop the site around and explore Uh options. I just felt like I needed to unload it quickly and take care of myself. Like as a lifeline. Exactly. Exactly. And also, I mean, frankly, it was at the time, it was a lot of money and we needed money. I mean, I got, I remember getting a lot of pushback at the time about, you know, selling out and it was sort of like, okay. <laughs> like I started something and I sold it. <laughs> like, And you worked your problem? ass off in sweat equity right. for this thing. And really, is it selling out? Is it selling up? Is it just relief? And right. that is not to be underestimated. I can tell you, Jill, I maintained a very small blog that stayed small and I watched your incredible incredible trajectory. It was like a rocket ship up to the solar system. And I remember seeing this all transpire and think she is the bravest woman in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how she's handling all of this. It was, Mm -hmm. it was so big. And so this idea of it becoming too big. So, I mean, like, can anything become too big? too big and wonderful. Yes, it can. Yes, yes, yes. It became too big. And I feel like I reached a point where I either needed to get a partner of some sort or get investors of some sort or sell it. But like, how do you even do any of like, I had no idea. Exactly. I had no idea. I was so exhausted. And so this opportunity came to me. And if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do it the way I did it. I would have put more thought into it. And but again, how could you possibly know? And at a I time know. when you are so desperate for the relief and the help. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't. Um, there was no other decision that was possible at the time. Right. But it's definitely a different site now than what it was when I started it and what I hoped it would evolve into. Um, But yeah, it is what it is. I've started finally looking at it as like my fourth child who like is a meth head and has like (laughs) moved away from home, like across the country and not turned out the way I wanted, but I'll always love it, you know, at the core. That's gotta be a, a, a tough thing to grapple with where something is so important to you. Like you said, it's your fourth baby right? You, you love, you nurture it. You put so much into it for all of these years. It becomes this thing. And then it becomes other that no longer serves you. Did it feel like a death? Did it feel like, like a really bad breakup? Are you almost at the point where you have to just kind of in a way disassociate from it because it's just so complicated? All of the above. It felt like, it felt like a death and a breakup in the worst possible way. 
until all of the people I really cared about, the people I hired, not the not people who write for the site occasionally. I'm talking like the editors, the community sure. managers, the people who were really full-time invested into the site. Um, they were all either let go or they left um, on their own accord when the site changed hands, right. um, like six, seven months ago. When that happened, I was able to totally detach and just be like, fuck it. I There is nothing I care about at that site anymore. I can finally move on. It was really difficult for me when I still had people I cared about there and I would see them oh, yeah. sharing and just knowing that they were, just knowing they were there just was so painful. So it's much, Ugh. much easier now. And around all of that same time, you were getting a divorce. Correct. There's big changes in your family life. There's big changes in your career. Like this is a lot to handle. Right. Everything was imploding at once. Um, And it took me three years to, to deal with all of that and to get through it. And it felt like I really, I gave myself three months after I left Scary Mommy to get myself together and figure out what venture I wanted to start next and to just have the luxury of, of relaxing for three months. Yep. And somehow that three months became three years. <laughs> Much of the time I really couldn't function and I was, uh-huh. you know, dealing with therapy and medication changes and all that shit. But I just, it really took me that long to mourn scary mommy and be able to think about moving forward. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. And when you announced that you were getting a divorce, I mean, it wasn't just an announcement on your blog. Like this was covered by like major media (laughs) outlets. I am not important enough to have my divorce on the cover of People Magazine. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Uh, But it happened, Jill. It was very, very bizarre. And it was not a good thing um, for my kids. And it was not, um, it was not intentional and it was not, it was, I would prevent it from happening if I could yeah. do it again. Yeah. But you know, it's something that's there when people Google me for dating profile reasons. So yay for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> they can know all my issues up front. Oh, that's my the one goodness. flaw. That is the one flaw about starting a website, you know, and a podcast called she's got issues. I'm just putting it all out there. <laughs> this leads me to she's got issues as a author. Why a podcast and not a book? Or is there also a book somewhere in your brain that's dying to come out someday? Somewhere in the depths of my brain is a memoir someday. I don't feel like I've reached the end of my story and I'm ready to write that yet. And I've also never felt like a writer. I've always felt like a talker who just puts the talking on paper. I mean, you said that up front in your first book. I said that always. But I, it doesn't come naturally. To, it only comes naturally to me when I think about it in talking form. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm very envious of people who can sit down and just, you know, pour out this beautiful prose. Like that is not how I am. Right. So the idea of just being able to talk directly to people on a podcast was really appealing to me. I miss connecting with people, but I didn't want to do it with, you know, on paper or on online like this. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm excited because I feel like the the core community of Scary Mommy has aged along with me and we're no longer, yes. you know, mommies anymore. Our kids are older. We're facing, you know, our act twos, our relationships have evolved. So what I'm hoping to do is capture the essence of 
what scary mommy was just being an honest place, you know, for us to be ourselves and not sugar, you know, coat everything. My vision is that the podcast will be, the format will just be a conversation with me and one other person. So less of an interview, just a topic that's close to my heart with someone who's either an expert or just someone who's been there, done that. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I hope is that She's Got Issues can evolve into not only a podcast, but a larger brand and a community because I don't just want to be, I don't just want to be talking. I want to recapture the the essence of community that I had before and, you know, be able to provide a platform where women can support one another. And that's not going to happen with me just talking <laughs> to someone else. So um, that's, that's my hope for, for the business. And I, I love that it. because there's just not a lot in this space. I feel like we all sort of feel that at this point in our lives, we're somehow supposed to have it figured out when the reality Mm. of it is we really just don't. I mean, I know I don't. And I feel like I want to talk about stuff like perimenopause and menopause and sex drive. And, and how do you parent your kid when your kid is essentially an adult living in your house and things are like complicated and weird. And, and like, how do you move on? How do you date again? How do you make a career pivot? What does that really, really look like? What is the truth of that for a woman at this all age? Of that. All of that. All We're of not that. talking about it enough. No, we are not. And it's the stuff it's like we weren't talking about the, you know, difficulty of parenting, the the days of being home with these kids and how draining and exhausting and how it doesn't didn't look like the magazines and the books that we were right. taught and and all of that. And it, it's the same now, but it's even there really aren't any books or guidebooks and we don't have people who've, who've done it before in the same way. So um, yeah, I think we can all learn something from each other. And I love that it's coming from you, Jill, who's always been so honest. You've always been so honest about your story and you're just so warm and inviting and people feel safe with you. I mean, hence the confessionals, right? The scary mommy confessions, like it takes a special soul to be able to create a space that feels so safe and inviting for people to be able to share their stories. And that's what you do. It's what you've always done. So it, it comes as no surprise. I love that you are parlaying this into a larger brand. The podcast It's a conversation. It's a brand. It's a place where people can go and seek comfort. I, I love that. I'm just so excited for what you have in store. Hey, thank you. I'm excited too. I'm finally in a place where I feel like I have a plan and I'm excited about it and I can actually see myself sticking to it, which I couldn't for three years. So hallelujah for that. It's time. It's time. I love it. I'm so excited. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, I have some lightning round questions for you. We're going to end on a light note. Oh God. Okay. Some of these are Gen X. Some of these are not. This is just like a rapid fire thing. Just okay. answer the first thing that comes to mind. There are no wrong answers. Okay. Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Pearl Jam. Best fast food fries? McDonald's. Same. Really? They're the only fries that I'm a down, like that, that will bring I'm sorry. Down. Yeah. Nobody does it better. Okay. Nope. Favorite 90s fragrance? An A&A. 
Wait, is this what my mom, wait, my mom used to call it. A-N-A-I-S, A-N-A-I-S. Okay. Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what the bottle looks like. My mom used to call that on ace, on ace. Well, that's probably a better way of pronouncing it than an (laughs) A-N-A. You're so probably right. It's like the French pronunciation. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Did you ever own a bucket hat? I did, but later than it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is you owned it. Did you wear it? Oh, I did. But later than it was cool. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Do you have some regrets about that? Yes. Yes. Yes, You know, I, I, I maintain nobody looks good in a bucket hat. I've said it my whole life. It's just, it's true. Okay. Brandon or Dylan? Dylan, of course. Dylan. Brandon. Oh, okay. Dylan. Okay. If you love Johnny, you love Dylan. Okay, that's true. You like the one with the red flags. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're sexy. So hot. Yep. Okay. What was your first car? Jetta. Volkswagen Jetta. Oh, nice. So cute. It's the only car I wanted. My parents really didn't want me to get it because it was German made and they still had a hang up about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I persevered. I, you know, I cried and I begged and I campaigned and I got my Jetta and you it was it. so damn cute. That's very awesome. like, can't buy me love. I like the vibe. Totally. Very cute. I loved it. Were you a latchkey kid? No, I was a carefully watched and supervised child. Okay. That's very like, not, not Gen X, like supervision. What? I was a child who was showed an excerpt of Dirty Dancing and had to, this is true. I mean, haven't I set the stage? That's right. <laughs> I give it a clear illustration. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. okay. Yeah. What was your after school snack of choice? Ooh, smart food. Like the, like pop, is like that the popcorn? popcorn? Okay. Yes. Okay. Smart food, popcorn and Hot, like high C or Hawaiian punch. Oh, nice. That was, yeah. Yeah. That was my jam. Film that traumatized you most as a kid. That's a really hard question. I was traumatized by a lot of films. Um, Probably the birds, because I still have a fear of, I still get really creeped out by birds and really have an aversion to them because of that movie. Okay. First concert. Um, Paula Abdul. (laughs) So good. Paula Abdul followed by George Michael. And I won the tickets on the radio. The only downside was I won them on the radio. So I had to have a parent take me. So my dad (laughs) took me to the George Michael concert, which was a mixed bag. Um, but yes, Paula Abdul was my first. That's awesome. It was awesome. Very fun. Wow. Okay. Well, I am a huge Elton John fan. Always have been. Mm. I need to know what's your favorite Elton John song? It's okay if it's none of them. You cannot be a fan and we can still be friends. I am a huge Elton John fan. Are you? Okay. Like good. the fourth or fifth concert I went to was the Elton John um, George Michael co concert that they did. Shut up, Jill. I swear to God, every time I hear, don't let the sun go down on me, the duet between the two of them at Wembley Stadium, every single time, which is a lot, I hear it a lot. I say to my husband, literally every single time, oh my God, I wish I was there. I say it all the time. This was my dilemma. 
this is why I took so long to answer was I was trying to decide if that was cheating or not, because it was a duet. If I should answer just a single, you are overthinking it. I know I really was, but I got I, my, I was in my head and I was really overthinking it, but yes, that is, that is my answer. That is such a good choice. Yes, there is I, the fact, I mean, I could just, I could talk for an hour about this. The fact that that song was recorded live and it's so fucking good. I it's just, so I can't, good. it just speaks to the talent of both of them. I miss George Michael immensely. Faith will always be one of my all time favorite songs. Oh my so God. Good. Oh my yes. God. So good. Oh God bless George Michael. I miss him too. Mm. Well, Jill, thank you so much for joining me. It was such a joy, a true joy. Getting to spend all this time with you. Talk about dirty dancing is just amazing. Amazing. I loved it. Thank you so much. And you guys, I will link to all of Jill's stuff in the show notes. Go check her out. You need to listen to She's Got Issues. You will not be disappointed. Jill Smokler is as badass as they come. So thank you all for joining us. If you're enjoying the pod, I invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also have a Patreon, so check it out. You can find us on the web and the socials. And as always, we hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.